Hello friends, this is Marianne McKibben Dana. During 2021, I hosted a series of online conversations looking at various works of art and pop culture, movies, books, with an eye toward what these works have to teach us about hope. What does hope look like during a global pandemic? What tools do we need as we find our way? How do we find the strength to persevere? I called these conversations Hope Notes. The first Hope Notes looked at the book The Long Winter by Laura Ingalls Wilder. Now, with the winter in full swing again here in the Northern Hemisphere, and yet another COVID variant bearing down on us, I wanted to revisit that conversation and see what wisdom we might glean from it. Here is an edited version of what I found as I delved into that conversation again. This event took place on Zoom, which you can hear from the quality of the audio. I'll be back at the end to share some final thoughts. Thinking about as we continue to deal with this pandemic, which we have been dealing with for so many long months, and I know you probably, like, like I, heard the refrain again and again, it's going to be a very grim winter. And I can't remember who said those exact words, grim winter, but they have been really turning over and over in my mind. And I just kept thinking about this grim winter, and it led me to reread just a couple of months ago a, a book that I absolutely loved as a child, The Long Winter, and I'm sure many of you remember it as well. It's a harrowing book if you really let yourself feel what it must have been like. And, and it's right there in the title, but they have recently settled the Ingalls family in Dismet, the Dakotas. And there's a small, just brand new, a little small town there of people who've kind of come together. And they receive a warning from one of the, the native peoples who lives nearby that it's seasonally and, and sort of the, the cycle is such that this is going to be a really hard winter. And I think they say you're in for seven months of blizzards. And I want to just make a little quick disclaimer that it's always interesting to read these books as a product of their time and the relationship between these pioneers, these, uh, these settlers out on these prairie lands and how they relate to their native neighbors is always interesting. Laura is very frank about her feeling towards these native people, but the warning does come from one of the elders of, of one of the local, local tribes. And so the story is about them weathering this, this terribly long winter. And um, if you've read it recently or remember it as a child, there is just a sense of just this constant assault of blizzard after blizzard after blizzard. They'll have a few minutes of calm and quiet and then another one will come. And so as this is coming in, as they are sitting tight and just trying to keep, you know, Pa does the chores and Ma does the baking and, you know, they just are, are doing their regular tasks of survival, their provisions start to get lower and lower and lower. And this was the first time I'd read it since becoming a parent and, and probably the first time I read it uh, since becoming an adult. And just thinking about what that must be like to see the provisions just get smaller and smaller and to have four daughters that you are trying to keep encouraged and keep healthy and you know to to live with the sense of that and not knowing quite when it'll end you know that it will but you don't know exactly when that last blizzard will will finally blow itself out and and you'll be on the other side of it and and that just felt so true to me 
as I think about, we know this will end. We know we will get to the other side of this, but we don't know exactly when. And, and it won't be a hard stop either. There will be a gradual kind of thawing of, of this uh, experience and life that we're in right now. But here are a few examples in the book that really touched and impacted me as I thought about how they got through this time. So the first thing they do first, uh, as I think about practices of hope, is they twist hay. So they don't have firewood. So what they do, what they do have is hay. And if you remember this story, you know that there's a lot about Laura helping her dad twist these hay bales into bundles that, that they can then burn. And I'm so struck to think about how much twisting they had to do and, and really let myself imagine how chapped their hands must get and how tired they must get of twisting hay. And when I think about twisting hay for us, I just think about this is the everyday stuff that we have to do right now. The buying of groceries, the making sure the masks are washed and, and cleaned and making sure that you know we are as safe as we possibly can be and, and showing up for our families each day and overseeing the online learning and all of those things. And just tending to that and it's the unglamorous work that we are all engaged in right now. And there's just a lovely little interaction where, where Pa, you know, he's very strong. He's a grown man and Laura's still young and growing. And, and so it takes her a while to get it. But he realizes that even her more imperfect hay twists are, are enough, are enough for that. And so we just do what we can do in this time and trust that that, that, that also is enough. So we twist hay. The second thing we do, and I, I want to read this, um, this little section because it is so lovely. We make light with what's on hand. You know, they don't have a lot of fuel left, and so they have to make do. And as I was rereading this, I was remembering an article I read last month when people were celebrating Hanukkah. And there was a, a rabbi who was quoted in thinking about this, this difficult COVID time. And he said, you know, the usually when we think about the miracle of Hanukkah, we think about the, the oil lasting for eight nights, and that's the miracle that is celebrated. But he said, you know, the real miracle is that they lit the lamps in the first place, that they were, they were willing to, to light those lamps. And, and so just to create that light and to, and to light those candles or whatever we're going to light and use what's on hand. So I'm, I'm curious kind of where you see light and where the opportunity to, to create light this is a little piece of the story where Ma creates a button lamp. It's just such a great story of, of improvisation with what you have on hand. She says, as soon as we finish eating, I'm going to make a button lamp. What's a button lamp? Pa asked. Wait and see. When he had gone to do the chores for the night, Ma told Carrie to bring her the rag bag. She took some of the axle grease from the box and spread it in an old saucer. Then she cut a small square of calico. Now find me a button in the button bag, Carrie. What kind of button, Ma? Carrie asked, bringing the button bag from the cold front room. Oh, one of Pa's old overcoat buttons, said Ma. She put the button in the center of the square of calico. She drew the cloth together over the button and wound a thread tightly around it and twisted the corners of the calico straight upward in a tapering bunch. Then she rubbed a little axle grease up the calico and set the button into the axle grease in the saucer. Now we'll wait till Pa comes, she said. Laura and Carrie hurried to finish washing the dishes in the gathering dusk. It was dark when Pa came in. 
Give me a match, Charles, please, Ma said. She lighted the taper tip of the button lamp. A tiny flame flickered and grew stronger. It burned steadily, melting the axle grease and drawing it up through the cloth into itself, keeping itself alight by burning. The little flame was like the flame of a candle in the dark. You're a wonder, Caroline, said Pa. It's only a little light, but it makes all the difference. And I have to think that his way was lit not just by the light of that little button lamp, but that little gift of, of ingenuity and creativity and making do with just the little things they had on hand. And so we just use what's on hand, whether it's a kind word or a reaching out to, to someone, or I have some neighbors and they gave us some cinnamon rolls or something in like one of those, it's like a to-go box from a takeout restaurant. And we've been trading it back and forth. So I made some muffins and I gave it to them and they brought it back to us with some coffee cake in it. And it's just this little bit of light that is so fun to share back and forth. So just creating light with what's on hand. And then the last is to immerse in beauty as much as possible. And this one has really been speaking to me a lot lately. Of course, there's wonderful examples of, of Pa being able to play his fiddle and they sing and dance and march. And part of that is to move their bodies so that they can stay warm, but it's also to warm their own hearts. And they recite poetry to one another and they, they sing songs and um, it's a distraction, but it's also an encouragement for them. As I thought about this reflection from last year, I was struck by some things that are different now in January 2022 than they were last year. For one thing, at least in our house, we're not washing as many masks as we were. The task now is finding KN95s that are in stock and not counterfeit. But much remains the same. In fact, for many of us, the Omicron wave has felt a little like one of those late season blizzards Laura Ingalls Wilder writes about. Just when you think winter is over, when you've held on as long as you possibly could, we all have to hold on a little longer. Now, a year later from that conversation with the two year anniversary of COVID upon us, the tasks remain the same. Twist hay, make light, and immerse in beauty. That's my hope for you, for me, for all of us, that we would do the everyday tasks of tending ourselves and our loved ones, those boring, necessary tasks with care and patience and kind imperfection, that we would use what's right in front of us to bring light into the world. I wanna dig through my kitchen cabinets and see if I can find that to-go container and fill it with something for the neighbors. And that we would seek out something beautiful, whether art or music or a tree filled with twittering birds, to lift our spirits and remind ourselves of what's good and true and lasting. Thank you so much for joining us for this encore of Hope Notes in podcast form. We'll be sharing more of these over the coming weeks and months. 
Also check my website, MarianneMcKibbenDana.net, where you'll find a schedule of new Hope Notes conversations and a place to register so you can participate in real time. I'm Marianne McKibben Dana, speaking to you from Reston, Virginia, the ancestral land of the Manahoac people. This podcast was produced and edited by Caroline Dana. Thank you, as always, for listening. Steady on.